0: What you are about to hear is a story. It's a true story, and it's kinda spooky. Okay, maybe it's truly spooky, or maybe it's spookily true. Eh? (laughs) It's a story about something that really happened something that I really did and it's a ghost ghost story story. and I have shared this ghost story many times on this podcast and today I'm sharing it again because I like it I, I, I like sharing it I like that I had this experience and um, I'm I'm gonna share it with you. It's coming. It's coming. Up. And this story is. Um, I think I told you it's a, it's a true story. Uh, it's a spooky story. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna tell you because all stories exist. And if something exists, then it's real and true, right? Isn't that what? It means to have a true story. I know, I know, I know that it's true. I know it. is infants on thrones baby steps you want someone to preach to you? the philosophies of men i like magical toys what religion do you? mingled with humor i don't believe in them. there will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with, with humor we are evolving baby steps you can buy anything this world of money
1: Everything
0: Look for
1: the people
0: who will set your soul free It
1: always seems impossible until it's done Look for the good in everyone
0: Several years ago On a spooky, spooky day spooky spooky year in a spooky spooky place I created and released this spooky spooky episode and all of it is true every single bit of it is true it really really actually exists exactly the way that it is it's all true it's all true all true, all true. listen to it now <laughs> it was a normal night just like any other night i was 16 years old a priest in the ironic priesthood In a few short years, I would become a missionary, venturing out to the front lines, a valiant soldier in the great cosmic war against Satan and his demon hordes. My bedroom was in the basement. I slept in a twin bed that faced a large sunken window well. It was meant to be a fire escape, but I often used it to sneak out at night to go teepeeing with my friends, at least until I saw the Black Widow spider webs and decided it was just too risky. Because, you know, black widow spiders can be silent but deadly. You know what else is silent but deadly? A scorpion. So I stripped down to my BVDs, knelt over my pillow, and offered up my nightly prayers. Ever since I turned 12 and had been given the Aaronic Priesthood, I'd been secretly praying for the ministering of angels. You know, the Doctrine and covenant said that I could have one, if I was worthy, and Joseph Smith had had one when he was a kid, so why couldn't I? I said amen and turned on my radio. I liked listening to music as I fell asleep. K-Lite 98.7 FM, an embarrassing collection of soft rock ballads, so I'd be sung to sleep every night by the likes of Roberta Flack, Barry Manilow, or Cool and the Gang. Maybe it was nerdy, but it was also relaxing. But this night, something happened that I'll never forget. Something strange, something dark. Something that showed me firsthand how very real the adversary can be. I was nearly asleep when a song started playing that just didn't belong on K-Lite. It was Highway to Hell by ACDC. At first, I just tried to ignore it, but it kept getting louder and louder, so I reached over and I hit the snooze bar, and that would normally shut it off, but this time it didn't. So I hit it again, And again, still nothing. So I sat up and I leaned over to reach for the dial and I turned it to make sure it was off. And it was, but the music still kept on playing. So I leaned over and strained to unplug the whole thing from the wall. And sure enough, the power shut off, but the song kept on playing. It was it was fainter than it had been, but it was still there. I could still hear it. And that was when I felt this tingle. That starts up the back of your spine and just instantly fills your whole body. It was fear. Terrifying, paralyzing fear. Now, I'd heard of this sort of thing before. You know, my dad had been attacked by a paralyzing darkness when he was on his mission. And my seminary teacher told me the story of a demon that he saw one night when he was a kid looking at a Playboy magazine. And, of course, we all know what happened to Joseph Smith as he was starting to pray in the Sacred Grove. The devil is alive and well and actively trying to thwart the progress of God. And he knew that I was destined for missionary greatness. And he hadn't been able to trip me up in any of the typical deviant teenage ways, so he was taking a more direct approach. So I prayed. And I pleaded with the Lord to save me from whatever evil was in the room and to please make the music stop. But it didn't, not until the song finally reached its end. So there I was, in total silence, alone in my bed, surrounded by this thick, palpable darkness. But that was nothing compared to what was about to happen next. It still gives me chills to even think about it. And I really don't even like talking about it. But... Laying there, alone in the darkness, I heard a voice. It was clear and as real as the voice that you're hearing from me right now. And it said my name. Glenn. A chill shot right through me. Was this real? Was someone actually in my room? Was I just making it up? Were these voices in my head? And then I heard it again. Glenn. I sat up and I flipped on the lights. Standing at the far end of my room, right in front of my window, was a man. He had light hair and blue eyes, and if I had this skill, I could sketch him to the smallest detail even to this day. And he was smiling at me. Don't be afraid, he said. The Lord has heard your prayers and has sent me to minister unto you. He smiled again, he extended his arms as if he knew that this was the fulfillment of everything I'd ever wished for. But something about it just didn't feel right. You know, I was still feeling that cold, tingling fear and not the warm, reassuring calm that you'd expect from a ministering angel. And I immediately remembered a scripture from the D&C, these three grand keys that Joseph Smith had given, how to discern a good angel from an evil one, I needed to ask to shake his hand. Because if he's from God, and if he's a resurrected being, then I'll feel the solid flesh and I'll know. Or, if he's from God, but he hasn't been resurrected, he'll just politely decline and then deliver his message anyway. But if he's an evil spirit, he'll attempt to deceive me, and he'll reach out with his hand, and I'll take it, and I'll feel nothing. The thought terrified me, but, okay, that's what I've got to do. That's how I can know for sure. So I tried to keep my voice as calm and steady as possible, and I asked, Could I shake your hand? And he smiled again like he'd heard this question a million times before. Of course, he said, and he moved towards me. And I remember he didn't walk, you know, he didn't move his legs. He just, he just moved. And then he was right there, right in front of me. His arm was extended, and he was still smiling, and my heart was just... Pounding, And I steadied my hand as best as I could, and I reached up, and I grabbed onto his hand, and nothing. And this instant jolt of terror just shot through me. And then I knew what I had to do. I slowly began raising my arm to the square. And he looked at me as if he'd seen this a million times before, too. And before I could even utter a single syllable his entire countenance just changed like instead of the bright pleasant light-haired man who had first appeared his face transformed into this angry twisted evil snarl i quickly said what i had to say using all of my power to keep the words from sticking in my throat in the name of jesus christ i command you to leave and immediately he was hit by what seemed like some kind of vacuum that grabbed a hold of him from behind and started dragging him Back towards my window. He fought against it. And he shrieked the most awful shriek I'd ever heard. It was just like they say in the scriptures. A wailing and gnashing of teeth. He was cursing me the entire time. You think you've defeated me? You'll never be free of me. We're all around you. We'll always be with you. We know exactly how to get you. And then with that he was gone. And I was left alone. Completely freaked out of my mind. And that was by far the most terrifying night of my life. Except uh, that it actually wasn't. Because, well, this never actually happened. I mean, I told people this story, all right. I told a lot of people. And many of them believed it. You know, Why wouldn't they? It hit all the expected narrative conventions for a story like this. And more importantly, it supported their Mormon worldview. It validated their beliefs. One friend of mine actually shared it with investigators on his mission as evidence that this work was true. And when he got back and I told him it wasn't true, he's like, what? I told everybody that story. But I just made it up. And the reason why I made it up, now it seems so stupid and trivial. But I had this friend, Kevin Sparks, and he would listen to heavy metal music. And I thought this was just soul-numbing devil music. And I wanted him to stop. So I made up this story because I was trying to scare him straight. And ironically enough, of all the people that I told the story to, Kevin was the one to call bullshit right off the bat. Knock it off, he said. I kept telling it to other people, though, because I liked the effect that it had on them. I could see their response. I could feel it. And it gave me this sort of power over them, at least the ones who really believed it. And that power, it was pretty addicting. Now, I remember the last time that I ever told it. (laughs) This time really scared me. So I was a freshman at BYU, and I'd gone up into the canyon with a big group of people. I didn't really know. And we were gathered around a campfire telling scary stories. And I was just waiting because I knew I had them all beat. So I just waited my turn, and then I started up. It was a normal night, just like any other night. It was totally silent, as I told it. Everyone was staring at me with their eyes wide. It was probably my best performance ever. <laughs> and a little while after I finished, this guy came up to me. And he shook my hand, and there were tears in his eyes. And he said, I just want you to know that you were inspired to share that sacred experience with us tonight. Uh, sacred? Um, inspired? As in, this huge lie that I made up was something that he thought was a message directed to him through me from God? Oh, crap. (laughs) So he went on to tell me that he'd recently decided not to go on a mission. And what's worse, he'd come up to the canyon that night with his girlfriend and the back of his truck and just one sleeping bag. Because they were planning, you know, to do it. But when he heard my story, he realized what a terrible mistake he was about to make. He realized all the many different ways that the devil was trying to destroy him. And he felt the spirit so strong confirmed to him that he needed to change his ways. The guy actually started crying and he hugged me and he thanked me. And even though I guess I should have been sort of happy for this seminary video-esque return and sin no more CTR moment, I actually just felt like crap. I learned two very valuable, life-altering lessons that night. First, the spirit, and can you hear my air quotes, can confirm the truthfulness of even the biggest smoking pile of horseshit. Second, fear can be a powerful motivator. Fear sucks. I really sort of hate fear. Now, I suppose... There's some intrinsic evolutionary value to fear in the sense of self preservation, you know, in the sense of avoiding life's black widow spiders and other silent but deadly things. But to me, fear's like a cancer weed. It's just far too easy to take root and spread and grow and just completely take over, just blocking us from so many important experiences in life. Have any of you seen the movie Defending Your Life? Uh, There's this scene where Al Brooks is sitting across from Rip Torn, and Al Brooks has just died, and he's awaiting some kind of judgment.
1: So, is this what you thought it would be? Thought what would be? Where am I? Is this heaven? No, it isn't heaven. Is it hell? No, it isn't hell either. Let me tell you what's going on. When you're born into this universe, you're in it for a long, long time. You have many different lifetimes. And after each lifetime, there's an examining period, which you're in now. Every second of every lifetime is always recorded. And as each one ends, we sort of look at it. Look at a few of the days, examine it. And then, if everybody agrees, you move forward. What do you mean, move forward? I mean, move forward, continue onward. The point of this whole thing is to keep getting smarter, to to keep growing, to use as much of your brain as possible. For example, I use 48% of my brain. Do you know how much you use? 47? <laughs> Three. I'm sorry? Three? I use 3% of my brain? Yes, don't worry about it. Everybody on Earth uses 3% of their brain. 3 to 5%. And that's why they're there. Three? 3%? 3%? You mean nobody on Earth uses more than that? When you use more than 5% of your brain, you don't want to be on Earth, believe me. Now... Being from Earth as you are and using as little of your brain as you do, your life has pretty much been devoted to dealing with fear. It has? Well, everybody on Earth deals with fear. That's what little brains do. What are little brains? That's what we call you folks behind your back. Fear is like a giant fog. It sits on your brain and blocks everything. Real feelings, true happiness, real joy. They can't get through that fog. But you lift it, and buddy, you're in for the ride of your life. God, my 3% is swimming.
0: I don't think I can express it any better than that. Fear is what keeps little brains little. Fear just sucks. Now, I often heard growing up in the church that faith is the opposite of fear, that our faith in the atonement would overcome any fear that we might have about anything that happens to us in our lives. Well, that sounds pretty good, right? Right. And yet so many experiences in the church seem to be driven by that very fear that we're supposed to have been freed from. Like, what if I don't magnify my callings? Or what if other people see my faults? Or what if I don't live up to every covenant that I have made in the temple or anywhere else? What if I'm just unworthy? I really hate that word, unworthy. It means not worthy, I mean, think about it. It means you have no worth. It means you're worthless. How would it change things in the church if instead of people saying something like, he's not worthy to go to the temple, if we said, he can't go to the temple because he's worthless? Because isn't that basically saying the same thing? And this fear of being worthless gets drilled into us from such a young age. And once it's there, this fear of being worthless can be exploited and abused. And it happens far too often. That's true whether you're in the church or out of it, whether people are meaning to do it or not, whether the object of these fears is real or just a huge smoking pile of horseshit. You may even use fear tactics to manipulate people that you love because it's easy and it's incredibly effective. Because fear makes people do things that they normally wouldn't do, fear keeps people stuck in abusive and codependent relationships. Fear keeps people from experiencing life, from taking risks and making mistakes and getting up and trying all over again. Fear makes people shut down governments and hate Obama. Fear prevents progress. Fear is damnation. So at this wonderful time of Halloween, when we celebrate all the hauntingly superficial thrills that tricks and treats and fear can bring, remember how much fear actually sucks. Remember how pervasive and subtle and sneaky and damaging it can be. And take a moment to look around at the people you love. Look at the way you interact with them, at the way you interact even with yourself. And if you're exploiting a sense of worthlessness or using any kind of fear tactics to try to control or manipulate behavior, knock it off or else. And these things, I humbly say... In the name of Skeleton Jack
1: Boo Thank you for listening to Infants
0: on In on Thrones